Well, our next special guest hails all the way from Des Moines, Iowa, in the U.S. It's our very first international guest on the show. He's the head coach for the Des Moines Roosters in the U.S. AFL team. He's the footy correspondent for Fourth and Long Media, whilst also the host of his podcast, Coach Hess's Sports Corner and Donnie's Disposal. Donnie Hess, mate, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, glad to have me on. It's been a blast. Cannot wait to sit down and chat, Tim. I, I know this is a Melbourne podcast. I may be a Swan supporter, so I apologize. I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything about a previous game <laughs> earlier in the year. But hey, it's fun to talk footy with anybody from Australia because I love the game. I love talking the game. So I'm looking forward to it. It's yeah, I suppose an interesting concept with the whole AFL going abroad and and the audience that it has outside of Australia. But can you tell us when were you first introduced to AFL as a sport? Um, it's always kind of a funny story because for most Americans, it's it's you see it on television. But for me, it was one of those. My father introduced it to me through television. But it was and I was eight or nine years old. We had this cable TV channel called Fox Sports World. And it had a lot of international sports before soccer was super big in this country um, in the late in the late 90s. It was on. We had cricket. It had um, Tri-Nations rugby a lot. So I got to see like all blacks, the the Springboks and then the Wallabies play in in the Tri-Nations. And then Aussie rules happened to be on. And at these ungodly times, which was always kind of interesting with with the time difference. But I got into it as a kid. I, I didn't really choose a team. It was kind of this it was this fascinatingly interesting sport that had different uniforms and this massive field and they kicked the ball as hard as they could and then ran after it. And so it was just, it was very, very interesting little intro for me. And I kind of lost it for about six or seven years. I got into high school, got into athletics, played basketball, soccer. And then I was in college and working a part-time job over the summer and an Australian who happened to live in Des Moines, who helped start the Roosters walks into my job looking for some parts for his job that he was doing. And I, I noticed the accent and silly me decided to go start talking rugby. Cause it was the only thing I can think about to talk about with him. Cause I, I noticed the accent. He goes, he goes, um, he ever heard of Australian rules football? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, we've got a team here in town. How would you like to come out and play? And I was like, uh, sure. I would absolutely love to. And I'll be honest for those that don't, don't have the video. I'm not a, I'm not a footy body. I'm a bigger, I'm a bigger guy probably would have, probably might not have done too bad in rugby but i just i loved the sport it was absolutely fascinating the kicking the handballing everything about it so i dove in come 2009 and i've been kind of a footy head ever since i'm real it's uh so with the competition over there when when you first started like how many teams are in the competition like how often were the games played was it were you struggling to get players like was it it'd be really interesting to sort of know what that fan base and that audience would be like trying to trying to get a competition together all right well the usa the usafl as of now and again this is we're, we're talking almost 10 over 10 years now as of right now as of we speak now there are 50 clubs throughout the country and, and they're a little bit of everywhere. A majority of them tend to be in the big cities, the Bostons, the Denver's, the New York's, the LA's, the Orlando's, the Dallas, the Austin, Texas, the Phoenix. So a lot of the really big cities have a team and we're kind of unique. We're one of the smaller markets that has a team because of a couple of Iowans who got it in LA and then the Aussie who happened to be in Iowa at the time. But when it comes to our fixtures, it's kind of really kind of like country footy a little bit where you, you reach out to the presidents of other clubs uh, and you kind of go, okay, we want to play games this state, this state, this state, this state, and this state. And 
then it is all up to you. Can you fit it in? Can you find a field? And then how many guys can show up when it comes to players? It's always a struggle because we know footy's physical footy is not an easy sport on the body. And it, it's sometimes it's, it's a lot of work. So maintaining players sometimes is the hardest thing. Like we'll get guys that'll come out and they, they thoroughly enjoy it. And then they play a game and they get hooked, but their body can take one year, maybe two years, but with it being a kind of amateur sport and you have to pay to play it, you just, you can only take so much physicality on the body before you just can't do it. I mean, for us, at least here in Des Moines, we've been lucky. We've had a lot of guys that have stayed on for 10, 11 years. Not all of them are continuing to play. Some of them have kind of taken on coaching roles and trying to recruit, but yeah, I, that's the biggest struggle that we normally see is, is maintaining players, especially for us here. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could imagine it would be yeah hard to sort of keep some of those, those uh, yeah groups of players together and, and being such a social thing. It's, it's something that I guess the commitment, it's probably hard to make as a player with that physicality, that level of physicality and injuries and, and being able to hold a, hold a side together. But we're also chatting just before the pod as well too about like the weather conditions and how they impact, you know, your training and, and all sorts of things. Like you're saying that AFL in its historical element is an, is a winter sport from Australia, but where we play it in winter, but don't, don't quite see the same, uh, the same impacts and the same weather patterns as what you do. What's, what's been some of your challenges with that? Well, as, as I, as I told pre podcast, I said, I, I love when Australians always constantly say it's a winter sport. It's a winter sport. It's a winter sport. I go, yeah, it's a winter sport in Australia. It's not a winter sport up here. As, as I was, as I was telling Tim before this thing, I said, I don't think you want to play footy in, in minus 12 Celsius and 30 and 30 centimeters of snow. And sometimes that's what it's like in January here in, in Des Moines. So as much as I thoroughly love that it's a winter sport, it's, it's where it's when it's played as a winter sport, it's not really a winter sport here. We play it in the summertime. So kind of the weather conditions that you see for the women's season, these last couple of years is kind of what we have to deal with. We'll get 35 degree weather days with heat index warnings. And we've still got to train because we can only train one day a week. That's the only time most of the guys can show up. So that's kind of how it goes. We have to, if we have to train in the rain, we have to train in the rain. We, we don't have indoor facilities. We don't have club rooms. We have to carry everything. Tackle bags have to be put in somebody's truck and brought to the training facility. So it, it is a labor of love in the long run because you kind of have to just love the sport as much to kind of do everything that you have to do. When we set up tournaments, we have to set up the entire field. The AFL players don't have to set up poles. We have to set up PVC pipes because we can't exactly get 18 foot aluminum poles in the ground. It's just not possible. So we do PVC pipe that's maybe eight feet long to get our, to get our goals. And then about six foot long, six foot high PVC pipes for our behinds. And that's, it's make it's makeshift, <laughs> but I mean, it, if it, if it lets us play footy, it lets us play footy. And that's, that's the biggest thing for a lot of us. That's it. And I suppose it kind of embodies the whole community spirit that AFL has brought. And it's been pretty, uh, yeah, I'd say it's been pretty prevalent over the last few seasons and, and lots of years about not only at a professional level, but at a local level. And it's great to see that that kind of has spread abroad as well too, because it does, it brings those towns together. You know, country footy is such a big part of where the grassroots footy kind of 
you know, began in Australia and it's it's such an important part, especially getting, you know, kids through the system and, and getting them encouraging playing at those levels and then bringing them up. But it's, it's fantastic to sort of see how footy clubs can bring a community together. Sounds like what your competition does as well too. So it's great to see that it's got that same impact as well. Can you give us just a bit of a... a season update because where are you up to in your season with the roosters at the moment how are they traveling or oh we're not we're not doing too bad it's our, our season is very interesting this year because unfortunately as as we all kind of noticed that the gas the, the the gas prices have really affected a lot of people um we are we're currently just a week off, just a little over two weeks uh, no a little over a week off of our central tournaments which every year we have two kind of big USAFL based tournaments. We have the the regionals, which Eastern, Central, and Western regionals, which they kind of decipher up the country in certain sections. And then you're you go to one hub and you basically play a day of games. And then you, if you win your regional, you actually usually get a chance to play in the the top division in the USAFL, which is Division One. They 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 tier us. So then you're playing teams that you're most likely talent wise, skill wise, even with. So like division one is the top teams, the best teams in the country will be in division one, so on, so forth. Division two, fill in division three, and then division, division four is usually um, intermixings. Like if you can't get a full 22 um, side, uh, Des Moines, Madison and Chicago have enough to make a team. We're going to throw you guys together and that's your team. That team will play in division four. And then there's women's divisions as well. Usually the last couple of years, there've been two divisions in the women's. So, so the numbers are really relatively good over here. It's just COVID didn't help. And then this year, unfortunately, inflation and high gas prices have caused our regionals to be a little bit more lackluster. There was only six teams that were, well, one full side in Minnesota who was hosting it. And then five combined sides made the top pool we just we finished um fifth out of sixth uh we, we struggled a little bit we also got in a pool with a couple of good teams nashville's really really good they combined with chicago and then austin texas which is one of the best in the country um they've won six of the last eight division one national championships so they are, are a very very good side and, and have a good portion of australians that occasionally come over so they have that there um, so I'm trying to think of anything else that, oh, another thing that I, that I like telling when, when, when it comes to the USAFL is, is that because they're trying to develop the American player, there is a rule they call the 50, 50 rule on teams that have Australians, you cannot have more than half of the team be Australians. So, so if on an 18 aside game, only nine Australians can be on the field at a time. That's it. The other nine must be American born players. So that's kind of a nice little rule that I think they threw in to keep like some sides would get 10 or 12 Australians in it. Well, you can't put all 12 on there because that would be a huge disadvantage to say a team like us that have no Australians, unfortunately. So it's kind of a nice little evening out rule uh, that the league does to kind of make sure that the even competitiveness of all the games, so then you don't see a team just bring every expat that's in the city and then make a, make a super side that nobody can beat because you guys play it just a little bit more than we have over here. <laughs> That's it. And I think that that sort of rule covers, I know I've had mates over in London that have, that have played in clubs over there and, and it's been a similar, similar situation with the rule because yeah, understandably you, you want to keep things reasonably even, but it also gives, as you mentioned, like US born 
uh, players a bit more of a chance to really develop and hopefully that they're learning a lot from those Australian players. Now, you did mention that, unfortunately, your team, the Roosters, doesn't doesn't have any Aussies in there at the moment and it's a little bit hard to draw to draw people to your state. But do you find with, I think what you said, Austin's got a pretty good representation of Australian players. Do a lot of clubs in your league have a fair amount of Australians or is it is it really a mixture? Like, as you said, if Austin's been so dominant and they've had quite a strong showing of Australian players, is there is there a pretty wide representation across the league? It really kind of depends on where you are. I know Denver for the longest time, they were the dominant side. They were the team that won like six in a row division one national championships. And they just, they had a ton of Australians that were over there because they had retired over there and were skiers and they love skiing in Denver or LA or, or any of the, any of the big, big cities. There tends to be an Australian or two that tends to pop up. And, and sometimes again, some cities have more, you get, Places like us, places like Madison, Wisconsin, some of these smaller towns, you just you just don't have a huge amount of people. You'll get the occasional Australian, but I mean, in, in our case, we've got a couple of Australians that come and visit, but they're they're past their prime. They're not exactly in footy shape. So that it's more of they come out to have a yarn, drink some beer, and talk footy with people that actually know the sport. So Unfortunately, they can help us on the sidelines. They can't really help us on the the field. field. (laughs) So it's one of those that we try to use every indication that we can. I know myself and my fellow coaches, I mean, I'm constantly trying to reach out to Australian coaches all the time and be like, Hey, I'm just, I'm trying to learn. I have a coach out in Perth actually that has kind of taken me under his wing as kind of a, a mentor mentee. So if I have questions like, how do I, how do I figure out a rotational schedule, a rotation schedule for a team? He'll, he'll give me feedback. And I think that's been absolutely awesome for me that I don't have the tactical knowledge that a lot of these coaches, that some of these coaches do. So it's like, I'm learning on the fly as much as my players are. So, I mean, you know, I think the only difference between myself and some of my players is I watch more footy than they do. That really is it. I've, I've dove into the tactics. I've dove into everything that I can, but I'm still learning. I'll openly admit it. I'm still learning the sport, the tactics, the structures, everything like that. Like I just don't have the time to put in a zone defense, a a kick out, a, a kick out play or, or um, center bounce, center bounce clearance plays on how to do that. Like, I just, I don't have the time. I'm yeah. like, can you kick it straight? Okay. That's good. Can you handball it straight? Good. Okay. Can you kick it between the big sticks when it comes to kicking a goal? Okay. That's about as far as I can go. I, I try to teach. <laughs> you try to teach when you can, but it, it is kind of one of those where it's like, I can only do so much with so little time that I have, but it, I try to just, I try to negate the simple things that I can control. And then it's like, if they have questions, I try to give them feedback as best I can. So it's, it's still an adventure, but it's a lot of fun though. That's the one thing I got to give the sport is that it, it's the mateship um, that the clubs have even between each other is awesome when we have games in like if we go up to minnesota and only 15 guys can come up and we want to play 18 aside minnesota will throw us six guys and six guys will play with us that'll give us 21 not a full bench but enough to be able to play so that's kind of the one things that we we kind of work with each other because we all want to play so it, it doesn't make any sense if nobody works together because then nobody gets to play so 
that's amazing. No, that's that's fantastic. As I sort of mentioned before, that whole yeah, that whole camaraderie and and community spirit about clubs sort of coming together and just just being there for the love of the game. And yeah, like as just mentioned with the coaching, I mean, it's one of those things with a game that so quickly develops over time and is always constantly changing. It would be <laughs> very hard to sort of keep on top of those things. You got when you're comparing it to a professional level where you've got full-time coaches that have they've got all the time in the world to put these things into place you've got rule changes happening which affects the play of the game is would be yeah. uh would be extremely difficult but the main thing is that, that you're having fun and you've got a gr- good group of players in there as well too and and yeah you're getting out on the park and having a bit of a run and and yeah if that's that that's the majority of the of the fun about it and you really really seem to be doing well with that i want to get on to just looking at the afl as well too big u.s story over in australia i think the biggest story to come out of the u.s in terms of the afl is mason cox can Mm -hmm. i ask you about what's his representation like over in the states does he get as much coverage i mean he's been I suppose up and down in form, but he's he's generally mm-hmm. in the headlines. He's got a pretty good Twitter handle in terms of he's pretty active on that, and it gets a fair bit of mm-hmm. a fair, fair bit of uh, media coverage. How do you guys perceive him, and is he is he heralded as much over there as what we might think he is? Uh, there's two ways. There's two ways to answer that. When it comes to the American media, I mean, it's there. There's nobody knows who he is. Like he he could go he could go on a TV show. And nobody would know who the heck he is. They would just think he's just some random string bean tall guy. Like legitimately, that is how, unfortunately, how little footy gets representation, even as much as as successful as he has been. I mean, getting his team to the grand final, playing in a grand final, having the, the ripping preliminary final against the Richmond Tigers. I mean, it was crickets over here. Besides the USAFL people, like all of us watch enough. We were going nuts. Like, some of us are Collingwood fine. Some of us are, are we're, we're all, we all barrack for different teams, but there was part of us that all of us kind of became Collingwood fans that year. No, I mean, because we wanted Mason to do well. We wanted Mason to potentially get a, a flag. I mean, though he has technically no connection to the USAFL when it comes to playing. I mean, he got into the sport. Didn't he never got into the league. And the funniest part about it, we've told a few people hey, both his brothers play over here in the league. Now, no in fact, he's, the previous couple of seasons until COVID happened, he came over to our nationals and would run water for the Austin Crows, which one of his brothers plays for, and then the Seattle Grizzlies, which is his other brother plays for. So us in the USAFL, like he would come over to the nationals and he'd have autograph lights. Like people would be like, can we get your autograph, Mason? It's so good to see you. Like he was a rock star at nationals. But as soon as he left that park and went to some random restaurant, nobody would know who he was. So it's kind of, he's in this kind of, two worlds type of situation, big media, non-existent USAFL people and USAFL and footy fans. He is, he is, I mean, royalty to us. We, we, we want to meet him. We want to talk to him. We're so glad that he's doing what he's doing. We're, we're so happy that he's kind of got this nice run of form and he's playing well because we have somebody to cheer for. Um, and I think we also look at it now as with Danny Marshall with um, the Essendon footy club uh, with the women's, the, the inaugural Essendon team, she made their team. She's actually a USAFL alum. She was found during a USAFL game by an Aussie who had some connections with some prospects. That's why she got over there. So we're so happy to see her back on a list. So we, we kind of surround the arm. We kind of hug our, our own a lot. 
but when it comes to media, when it comes to media coverage, it's, it's just, unfortunately not there. We're trying I mean, myself, I know several, there's at least three other podcasts here in the States that are all us based footy podcasts. And we are trying constantly. We're trying to communicate it. We're trying to talk to as many people as possible. I, I talk to as many American podcasts that I can. If you want to talk footy, let me know. If you want to talk footy, let me know. If not, I know somebody else. The media manager for the league, Brian Barish, is another person. He will go on radio shows. He will go on all sorts of things to try to help expand the sport. Because as another podcaster, um, Craig Wessels, the Yank on the Footy, has constantly said, if you could get 1% of the of the American people to watch footy, that's 3.3 million people. That is a massive amount of people to get to watch this sport. So it's worth it. It's the question is, can we do it? And can the AFL give us a little bit of help? Because if we could get a few people going, I would love to see an 18-year-old kid get over there and be able to get drafted and play footy because there's some talent over here that's never going to play professional sport. They're going to play college and they're going to be done. There are tons of college athletes that I think if footy teams took the time to teach them the sport, you would get an incredible athlete that would be a heck of a footy player because they'd have no bad habits. You could teach them all the correct habits and they're going to be like a sponge because of their athleticism. So we'll have to see. (laughs) That's it. And it is, it's one of those things where, yeah, players, I suppose, in in that front, like you've got so many, the game has really turned into an athlete's game in terms of like you've got players that can execute the fundamentals really well but the endurance side of things, the ability to be able to run, like everyone has, everybody heralds and really values role players now. And if a role player means just running up and down the wing, and I'll use Ed Langdon from a Melbourne perspective mm-hmm. as, a, as an example of somebody that one, literally though. just runs the outside point post to point post, um, isn't the best field kick. No, absolutely not. You know, hands-wise, might get a few handball receives, and but as long as his ability to be able to run... You know, if you've got athletes there that can you be able to translate some of those skills, I think it's certainly something that I know more clubs can look at and and seeing is interesting to look at because I was interested to know whether I thought it had happened in the past, but the last so the last AFL exhibition game that was played in America was in 2006 in LA, mm-hmm. and it'd be the AFL has had you know games in China, we played in New Zealand a few times, played in London I think 2012. And then even going back as far as the late 80s and early 90s, the VFL were actually playing some post-season uh, exhibition games in, I think that I saw there was Portland, there was elsewhere. But there I think that it could Miami, be... Miami, I think it was. Yeah, time. Miami. Yeah, that's right. And I think it could be really beneficial to, to get an exhibition game over there as well, too. I, I think that there would be a fan base for it. What do you think? I, I, I 100% agree, but I'm, I'm also going to say something, and this might be some controversial to some of your listeners too, but... I. The perfect opportunity to help the sport grow over here was buggered, and that was AFLX. And I've said it constantly, and I, I, I it's ruffled some feathers, but I've said it constantly. If the AFL wouldn't have gimmicked AFLX, I think AFLX could have worked here perfectly, like legitimately could have worked here. I mean, I, I told a few people is that if you stick it on an on an, on a basically an NFL field and just make it a little bit wider Add add about maybe 20 or 30 more yards, just to make it a little bit wider, a little bit more like a rugby pitch. You could get a hundred thousand in Jerry world in Dallas to a footy, an AFLX footy game. And, and imagine how cool that would be. 
to be able to play in Dallas, have Culling, have Collingwood and Carlton play each other in an exhibition AFLX match in Dallas. That would be insane. You could get 80, 90,000 there easily if you really wanted to, and you could see the sport the way it could be, the very open, very attacking, very scoring. Just cut the gimmick stuff out. The gimmick stuff is what really, really irked me off because it really irritated the old traditionalists. And again, I respect the old traditionalists because they love their sport the way they've used to it. But this was a perfect opportunity to expand and to get more eyeballs on the sport. And they buggered it. And then the old traditionalists poo-pooed all over it. I mean, there was no way it was going to work. They, they Before it even happened, they had already said, it's not going to work. It's a waste of time. It's not going to work. This isn't footy. It's, 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 it's a gimmick. I know. I understand what you're saying. But over here in the States, we don't have that big of fields. We just don't. I mean, we got to take two soccer fields, put them together to make one footy field basically over here in the States. It's not as possible as people think it is. Like I've heard Eddie McGuire say, they don't have stadiums. Yes, we don't have stadiums that are big enough for your regular footy. But if you shrink them down to an AFLX ground, we got plenty of stadiums. We got 100,000 seat stadiums. We've got 80,000 seat stadiums. And they're all over the country. So it is possible. We could have had AFLX get big over here, but they gimmicked it and they basically, it was shot in the foot before it even started. And that was frustrating for me because I was like, oh, that was perfect. It was so, so perfect a product. It could have been successful over here. You could have got a professional league over here potentially, and it could have flourished. You could have got kids coming playing over here and then who knows the afl might have had a feeder system to our aflx kids can come over there maybe attempt to try to play big footy and maybe get drafted we don't know and unfortunately we might never know because aflx the perfect little on the silver platter for americans got shot down one night yeah and that's now it's really interesting to hear your view on that because i think from an Australian's point of view and the wider audience here, yeah, you're right. It was the butt of all jokes and it continually comes up in meme form about, you mm-hmm. know, I think Melbourne won, <laughs> won you know, at holding up the trophy and I can't remember what year that was, but it was. We None of us took it seriously and, but I suppose like, you know, myself included wouldn't have been thinking about the wider uh, the mm-hmm. wider effects that it could have had and, 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 you know, the potential that it could be to translate that overseas. And maybe that's where they were, I don't know, I know Gil's, Gil McLaughlin's been very big on trying to see how we can expand the game across the borders. And, you know, maybe that was a missed opportunity or maybe that was the intention potentially to try and expose it to some new uh, viewers overseas and seeing how it could work overseas. But unfortunately, unfortunately that, yeah, it wasn't well received over here and, and, I, mm-hmm. I guess that's probably going to be the driving force behind the success or or the failure of it. So um, I just want to quickly moving to current day AFL as well too. Now I understand now you're a Sydney Swan supporter. Let's just get your feelings mm-hmm. on that. How how are you seeing them traveling? They've been a bit up and down, but far out. They're they're an exciting <laughs> side. You must be feeling pretty good about them at the moment. I I would say in terms of where you might have predicted them at the start of the season. As I tell many Swan supporters, I said, I said, they really are, they're trying to kill me much earlier than I probably should go with how many times they have, they have given me just so many exciting games that, I mean, heart palpitations might be an understatement to, to, I say to most, but the fun thing that I've, I've loved about this group over the last two seasons is, is that you just 
you can't count them out no matter how much they go down, which unfortunately they've made a habit, unfortunately, of doing that this season of getting down 20, 25, 30, 35. And then all of a sudden it's like Horace Longmire grabs a chair, flings it in the rooms, goes, pulls your head in boys. Let's go. And all the guys go, okay. And then second half, they come out roaring like a steam train. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see this group because this is not an old list. I mean, if you take Parker Kennedy and some of the guys off this list, there's a lot of 22, 23, 24 year old guys that are still young. They have less than 50 games under their belt but they're playing like 150 game veterans. I mean, Blakey, McInerney, Campbell, McDonald, Errol Goulden, um, Tommy McCartan. I, I could go on and on and on. It's, it's insane to listen to, to watch this Swans team because if they can stay healthy, if they can stay together, there, there's, there's a possibility that they could be a flying contender for many, many years to come which is the fascinating thing that people still look at the Buddy Franklin thing. It's like, well, he's got to the nine years, the end of the contract, which many people, unfortunately, I'll say this, many people in Vic Media said it would never happen. There's no way he's going to get to nine. It's a waste of time. It's so front-loaded. He'll play five seasons. He'll trickle out and he'll, he'll, he'll go somewhere else. This is his ninth season. He got through the contract. Was it pretty all the time? No, there's no way. I'll, there's no Swans fan that will say it was. But I've many of them that I've talked to have agreed it was worth the contract. Yes, we didn't get a flag. 100% agree. There's no argument from me there. 14 and 16, both of those years, we just didn't get it done in the grand final. But the 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 passion and the growth in Sydney, I think there's a little bit to him and there's a little bit of the academy that I think are the reasons why a lot of people are super, super confident in this Swans team. It probably isn't our year this year. I think we're just, there's still enough inconsistencies in our youngsters. I think we'll make finals. I think we may get to a semi, maybe a prelim if we get lucky in the draw. But I, I don't see them being a flag contender right now. There's just a little too much inconsistencies. And this is such a deep finals right now that it's going to be wild come the finals because I think if certain teams make it in, all eight teams have a shot if they get the right draw. It'll be fascinating. I I cannot wait for it. Yeah, no, you're right. It is, especially even just this weekend gone with with Super Saturday and all the top eight teams that are playing each other. And it is, it's it's a really tight, even contest. But as you were mentioning, and even watching it firsthand a couple of weeks ago, and I was there at the game, the Sydney game, and... Yeah, you've got some really impressive young talent there, complemented by some of your veterans as well too, not to mention you know, Franklin and Parker. We watched Sam Reid play the game of his life <laughs> and uh, almost was the difference maker in that first half there as well too, which I can see you shaking your head there. Because- I, I, I laugh. I laugh because he is the bane of so many Swans boards. <laughs> it is hilarious to me. There, there are several players that, if, that when I go on social media, and I, I, I am not a, a player basher. I'm one of those... I like talking positively because I don't know what these players are going through. I don't know what the coaches are telling them. I don't know. So I'm not going to sit here and go, he doesn't have effort. He's not good enough. I hate saying that. I legitimately don't. So to see Sam Reed kind of come up with a game of his life in a game that nobody expected it to happen. Buddy Franklin wasn't playing. Everybody was kind of like the, the mood I got from Swans fans going into that D's game was that 
oh, why did Freo have to beat the D's? Now we're going to get destroyed. Like that was kind of the thought process that I had. I was like, worst possible time. Like I, I wanted the Dockers not to win the game against you guys the previous week because we wouldn't get an angry Melbourne Demons team. We'd get a, oh, we're a couple weeks from the bye. Let's let's play the Swans. We'll probably win. We'll be okay. They might take us lightly because how we had kind of been inconsistent there for a couple of weeks, especially after the Gold Coast loss. So when Sam Reed comes out of his skin, Papley has a pretty good game. Heaney's not too bad. And Logan McDonald plays really, really well. It kind of shows why he was the draft pick that he was. I kind of went, okay. But then now the questions was, should Buddy stay out? Like that was the other thing that started coming is, is that they're not buddy centric. Well, I've never thought they have been buddy centric. I have always said they're not buddy centric. It's just buddy's a commanding presence. That's just the way he is. It's like Petraka and Oliver in the midfield. They're a commanding presence gone. It's kind of hard if you're gone, not to tip it to one of those two, because they're really, really good. (laughs) Franklin's a really good player up front. So you see him leading. It is hard for these youngsters not to kick it to him. So them to be able to kick it to Reed, to kick it to Heaney, to kick it to Papley or, or Wicks or Hayward. It was always fascinating. They were like, they're buddy centric. No, it's you imagine looking at Buddy Franklin screaming at you. And are you going to kick it past him? Do you want to deal with that death stare that he gives when you don't give it to him? <laughs> so I don't know. It was, yeah. it was a great game. As I told several demon supporters I talked to, I said, you guys are still the cream of the crop. Like I still despite what had happened, I still, you guys are the measuring stick. I still believe you're the top tier, that team that you got to beat them until Melbourne is out of the finals. They are the flat. They are the flag favorites in my personal opinion. Fremantle can't make up their mind, which is very frustrating because I think they've got a, they've got a team. They can be there um, with you and with Geelong potentially as the, as those three top teams that I think are, are the flag real big flag favorites, but Fremantle can't make up their mind because that was a Carlton team that they were ripe for the picking and the, the, the non-offensive Fremantle team showed up, which is not the Fremantle team Frio fans wanted to see because Carlton is a offensive juggernaut when they get going, but they're very frail in the defense with all of the injuries that they had. So seeing that, that scoreline there was probably a bigger shock for me at least, more than the Swans Saints because the Saints have been so inconsistent. I just wasn't expecting the margin. Yeah, no, no, that's that's right. It's uh, like Carlton, again, sort of proved that they're, they're sort of up and around the mark in terms of making their march towards the top four. And Frio's been, yeah, and a really interesting case study because they have been incredibly inconsistent in that sense. But when they've looked on, they've looked uh, extremely dangerous. And I think you nailed mm-hmm. Nailed it on the head with that offensive side of things because I think for a couple of years they've been able to defend really well. They've been able to oh, yeah. they're really stingy. Uh, we've had a couple of really sort of scrappy games against them. I think last year, year before we played them, I think year before 20, 2020 when we played them uh, up in Darwin, we had those back-to-back losses between you and Frio that really kind of spoiled our finals chances uh, out of our hands and, and we missed mm-hmm. the finals that year. But they're one of those teams that have a lot of really talented youngsters as well too. You look at you know young Brayshaw and Sarong and and that. But if they're not able to get a winning score like like really what Melbourne was out wasn't able to do in those few weeks as well, we weren't able to kick a score. Uh, unfortunately, that's gonna it's gonna one of those things that that goes down in finals as as going to be an Achilles heel. 
Mm-hmm. 100% agree. And I, th- I think that's been the interesting, like my interesting thought going into this finals this year will be is what's, what's the footy going to be like? Is it going to be hard pressure to where every point counts or is it going to be a little bit more open? Because the one thing I've noticed this year is the stand rule has affected offense a lot more this year than it did last year. Like last year, the coaches rang it in after the first two rounds. Like the first two rounds were insane. Everybody was kicking 100 points. They, the, the, the ball was flying from end to end. Goals were getting kicked. But you noticed after round three, the coaches kind of really rang it in. Like games started going back into the 70s and 80s. But this season, for some weird reason, it's just it's not been rung in yet. Like there's teams are still kicking 100 points a lot more consistently than they have, which for me, it's entertaining. But it does make it interesting is does the game get really tightened up come finals time? which will make goals and behinds that much more crucial come later in the year. So it's these, these last eight, these last eight weeks of the season are going to be fascinating because I think this, this ladder is going to, it's going to do backflips occasionally. I mean, when you've got, was it four teams all at 40 points just behind Melbourne from second to fifth, and then Sydney's in that, that kind of, I think Sydney and maybe even Collingwood are in that purgatory of 36 in between that and all the teams at the bottom and then outside of the eight. So it's, it's, this is going to be fun. I, yeah, I cannot wait. That's all right. And thinking back to what you said about Sydney as well. So I think you, I think it's a real, real possibility that you, yeah, you win at least one final because I think we saw even in the third quarter against us, the, your ability to be able to explode from the center of the contest and be able to pile on goals like that. Uh, yeah. It doesn't matter who you play. You're going to, you're going to do some damage, uh, to anybody that you come across. And, and if that's something that you can kind of continue in your game and get that run on and that streaks of momentum, I think a lot a lot of this season has been teams that has been able to hold momentum for a long period of time and being able to damage on the scoreboard. It's been, yeah, obviously those teams that can get a great, a lot of results falling their way, but I don't see how you guys wouldn't be, yeah, I, I think certainly winning a final. And you're not really phased about where you play either. Obviously you played well at us at the G um, play well at the SCG uh, on Saturday night, Friday night, whenever it was. And yeah, I, I really think that that's a strength of yours as well too. Whereas you look at probably Brisbane that played us on Thursday night, haven't won a game mm-hmm. at the G since 2014, which which is, yeah, an interesting an interesting fact in itself. Yeah, I, I look at it too. It, it will be interesting to see how teams kind of handle it because, I mean, if Fremantle gets that second place, that, that's a daunting trip. West the what P West WA is a tough trip, no matter who you play, whether it's West Coast, whether it's Fremantle. And then the GABA is not easy with the Lions. But Sydney, I, I found it interesting. I was having a discussion with a few Swans fans. I said the, the weird thing about the Swan style over the last couple of years, that that kind of pinpoint kicking, they kind of attack through the corridor a lot. The G actually fits them, I think, a little bit better than the SCG, which is kind of weird to say that they're they're built. They're built more for the bigger grounds. They're built for the wide grounds. Like I think that was one of the things the D's had some trouble with was, is that they made you guard the entire ground, which is much, much more difficult than say the SCG or GMHBA that's very skinny. So their their game style doesn't fit as well in some of the smaller grounds. So it's fascinating that they struggled at the SCG at the start of the year. They, they were having trouble winning games at home, but they could go on the road and win games. So it was very fascinating. I'm... Uh, you almost kind of look at Sydney and you go, it, it depends on who they get, how their kind of their run goes. Like if they get fifth, sixth, where they're hosting at the SCG, will it actually be a, a negative? Like if say calling, say somehow they get Collingwood in the, in the six, seven matchup. If the game's at the G 
Sydney is surprisingly, I think, a little bit more of a favorite over Collingwood because of their style. They can spread that game out. It kind of takes away Collingwood's pressure a little bit. So I'm, the matchups will be fascinating for me to kind of see how game styles match up with the grounds. That, that is is one of those that not only the 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 way the ladder shapes up, but the matchups because some of these teams where they play is going to be very interesting. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Uh, quickly before, one more quick question before we move on to our quick quiz to finish it off for today. But I just want to get, as a neutral supporter, if you can take your swans out for a second, I know we sort of briefly touched on Melbourne, but being a D's podcast, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on where you see the D's at, at the moment. Obviously, coming off a big win, a, a really big response win against Brisbane after a, a, a lot of turmoil on and off the field in the past month. But how have you seen Melbourne this year and I know you said that we're still probably the cream of the crop and the team to beat but is there players that stand out to you or anything that you think we need to continue to do oh it's it's hard it's hard not to to just go off your list and go superstar 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 that, that that's the one thing that you, you that you've done so well is that I mean when you have Petraka and Oliver in the middle I mean instantly that is an instant advantage over most teams because most teams don't have one let alone two absolute bull type of midfielders but then you've you've got that run with langdon and hunt out wide you've got a defense that is very stingy when they want to be with may lever in, in the kind of rat pack that they have kind of going off around the one worry that i have for you and i, and I think most melbourne fans will agree with this is just the inconsistency going forward because they're just there has you haven't really found what you found last year like you had that wobble a little bit over at, with Adelaide last year and then you kind of Benton Brown came in and he was kind of the elixir for the rest of the year and you were good you, you kind of went through the finals very relatively easily for most people this year it's just not whatever um, whatever levers that Goodwin's pulling it's just not working yeah. Wiederman comes in doesn't play well he's back out and McDonald has his injury. And I think that's really kind of affected the chemistry. And Brown has just not been what he was last year. He's not clunking marks as much. He's not kicking goals. Pickett and Fritch, I mean, they're superstars. When they get the ball in hand, they are dangerous. They can kick goals, but they're not leading targets. And that's what they need to get those crumbs. Like Kaziah Pickett is a king at crumbing the, crumbing the pack, getting a kick, snapping it, kicking a goal. The guy is electric. So much fun. Fritch is the same way. He's not the leading target as much as Brown, McDonald, and, and Wiederman are. So if you can figure that out and kind of get that figured out, again, it's going to be very hard to beat Melbourne at the G. It's going to be very hard to knock them off because May's in the lineup. You win games. I'm, I was a little bit surprised gone wasn't as big a loss this week as I thought he would be. Like I thought McInerney was going to have a field day with Jackson because I thought his physicality, he would bang and beat on Jackson in every rug contest. But Jackson's athleticism really kind of, I think he really kind of stepped up big time. So it'll be fascinating to see how that, how that goes over these next couple of weeks until gone comes back is does Jackson progress even more? Does he get more confident? Does it make it to the point where Gon's going to be doing more forward to give that marking forward and have Jackson be in the middle to be that athletic guy in the middle or do when Gon comes back, does Gon go right back where he was and Jackson becomes the, the fluctuate comes in for 10 or 12 ruck taps here to give Gon a break. Gon goes forward in that time. So we'll have to see, but I, again, 
the D's are right there on top until somebody knocks them out in the finals. They're, they're going to be my, they're going to be my favorite to win the flag right now because they're just, they're so good on every single level when they're on, they're damn near unstoppable. Nah, nice one. It's uh, yeah, great to hear someone else's perspective from a from a neutral point of view as well. To me and Simo are always uh, good at D's hats on. It's very probably easy to get <clears throat> one sided or biased, but it's great to hear a neutral view as well too. All right, Donnie. Well, just to finish off, we've got our quick quiz. So it's our five in a flash, mate. It's got to be the first answer that pops to your head. Five quick questions. Okay. First question number one is. Your dream interview on your podcast would be who? Uh, Goodsy, Adam Goods. Uh, what's the strangest football word or term or like saying that you've heard commentators use? Uh, actually, it just happened recently. And the fact that J- James Brayshaw loves to use taking the piss all the time. <laughs> Like that- he went in a buddy in a buddy Franklin call against the Hawthorne Hawks. He, he told buddy Franklin to piss off buddy. You can't do it. And then the latest game between Collingwood and between when Collingwood, when Mason Cox had his, uh, he was doing something. I think he faked a handball and James Brayshaw goes, he's taking the piss out of this. He is fully extracting piss. I go, it's, <laughs> it just, it, I laugh my head off. Like I had to rewind it like eight times. I'm like, this is just so funny. I can't stop. I just, I got it. I, I, I couldn't stop. I just, oh, so that's, that's one of those that the fact that, that you're the Aussie callers can drop a four letter, can drop an F mom to drop a four letter word that you just don't hear over here. Like I absolutely love that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, not too often over here, but it, it, there's a few that sneak through every now and then. No, that's great. Uh, if a current American sports star cross codes the AFL, who do you think it could be and why? Oh, my, my favorite one that I hear a lot of people are just because I'd love to see it would be LeBron James because I mean, six foot eight, super strong, super athletic, super quick. I mean, imagine him at center half forward like a Buddy Franklin. That's crazy. That's that's absolutely crazy to think or take a wide receiver out of the NFL out of the NFL and put them at, at the the flanker position or the wing position. Let them use their speed like it get big over there because I think it would be absolutely fascinating. Yeah, no, nah, unreal. Uh, current favorite player to watch at the moment. Current favorite player to watch at the moment. I will. I will not say this. A Swans player to to be nice. Um, uh, and this is not because I'm on your podcast. I love Kasaya Pickett. I think he's he's fascinating to watch when he gets the footy in his hand. Um, Isaac Rankin's another one that I love. Uh, I love watching too because their 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 flair is fascinating. And you might have alluded to this earlier, but the team that will be holding the Premiership Cup at the end of the season will be. I have a hard time not seeing Melbourne do it, but we'll have to see. There's there's three or four that I think can. If, so but right now I'd say Melbourne, but Geelong's putting up a pretty good case. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know we don't see him. In, well, we see him in a couple of weeks' time, and uh, I think we'll be seeing him without Tom Stewart as well too, which is probably pretty handy for us as well. But a blessing, <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. But I have pretty fond memories of uh, of what we did to him last year in the prelims. So well, what Gorn did to him anyway. So. Donnie, mm-hmm. mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to hear, yeah, an international perspective and loving your work over at uh, the Fourth and Long Media as well too. So make sure to all of our listeners get over and check out Donnie's Disposal and Coach Hesse Sports Corner, the podcast. You can find them on Spotify and YouTube as well. Donnie, mate, 
all the best with the Roosters rest of the season and hopefully you can see a bit more success than there and, and looking forward to seeing how they're going and yeah, looking forward to chat soon. Awesome. Well, for any of your fans, if you, if you're interested in keeping track of our, our little club on Twitter, DM roosters footy, please give us a, please give us a follow. You can keep a track of us on there. And then if you want go on to USAFL, um, YouTube page and there's actually games from over here our central regionals I know our game with Nashville is up and I believe there's one more game still to come up when that we play St. Louis so if you want to see a little bit of the Roosters footy online check out YouTube and type in Des Moines Roosters and there's at least three or four games on there that you can watch and kind of see uh, uh, us in action awesome mate I'll definitely chuck a couple of links underneath uh, the podcast link for this episode as well too so I'll make sure that they're in there so it makes it easy for our listeners but awesome, Donny. Well, take care, mate. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll chat to you soon. And hopefully for your sake, Swanee's doing all right, but not as well as the Dave. <laughs>